Hi, I'm Sam Chupp, a game designer and writer living and working in Atlanta, Georgia. And I run the uh, company samchuppmedia.com, which is where I publish my PDF games and game supplements. I mean, it's named after you, so it sounds like, look, it's just your shell company for mm -hmm. everything, every cool mm -hmm. thing you get to make. Every idea you yep. have, yeah, gets put there. It's my independent, you know, company, publishing company, so that I don't have to worry about selling my IP to somebody else. So <laughs> That makes sense. I, originally, I reached out to you because I'd always liked a particular game from White Wolf. So White Wolf had this world of darkness where they had a game where you could play vampires mm -hmm. and they developed a game. You could play werewolves and a game where you could play mage. I got obsessed with the game that played mage. Your name was associated with it. I'd seen your name in White Wolf products before back <clears throat> in the nineties when I was heavily playing. Uh, and I'm like, Oh, I got to reach out to everybody, including this guy. And so that's how I got a hold of you. But then I, I love mage fine, but I will tell you right now, a game you were more involved in, uh, and I have it right here, Wraith the Oblivion, my a copy I bought when it came out. This is a bit of like a holy grail game because I read it personally, cover to cover, and nobody I ever played with, I talked about it and they'd look at it. And so it's a game that I read from cover to cover, grabbed me instantly, and I never got to play. Do you mm -hmm. get feedback from people about Wraith that like they love the game and they could never get anybody to run a campaign or play? Oh yeah. Um, okay. It is a complicated game, but if you think about it, what it is, um, it was an indie game before indie games were cool yes. because what would happen is um, because of the shadow archetype, the, the, um, character of the shadow played by another player and it's purposely designed to challenge you as a person. Um, that was pretty like nobody had ever done that. And um, so it was, you know, a lot of people talk about the forge and the thing about the forge is I love the forge um, and I love all the games that came out of the forge um, you know, my life with master dogs in the vineyard, you know, things that are still making themselves known today. Um, and yet, um, Oh, primetime adventures. Oh, wow. What a great game. Um, but, uh, there was a very anti white wolf stance in the forge because, there was a lot of talk at White Wolf about your, uh, you know, basically doing what they called illusionism. And real briefly, what illusionism is, is where you fudge dice rolls, you, you're railroading the players, but they're, you're not telling them that you're railroading them. You're using sleight of hand and storyteller tricks to get them to do what you want to. And um, there's not any, I mean, if you look at things from a statistical standpoint, from the mechanics of the statistical standpoint, uh, the more powerful you get in the, in white wolf games, the greater the chances you're going to botch terribly. Right. 
you're just adding dice and the chance that you're going to roll the worst number on the dice gets higher and higher. All higher and higher. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's more successes available, but nine times out of 10, um, once you get to like eight dice, you're, you're screwing yourself over. Um, same thing goes for the mechanics of humanity versus willpower versus your blood, you know, your, your Vitae, um, you know, you're basically going to be like, it is impossible to avoid um, sinking into the depths of despair as a inhuman beast. Like it's going to happen. Um, a lot of people are like, well, no, my character got to Golconda. And I'm like, yeah, but was that through the mechanics or was that through you all, you had an agreement with the storyteller and the storyteller made it happen. Um, because if it was th through the mechanics, I think it's a statistical anomaly and you should be playing the lottery. I wasn't even going to talk to you about mechanics, but since you dragged it into mechanics, okay, so you're presenting this picture of people at the forge right. who are, we would call, I would call them because I, <clears throat> these are the first group. These are the people who are older when I started in the eighties and nineties and more simulationists. So I'm more no, interested. No, oh, not so no. they're not interested in they are the people down on the rules. So they are the people who first created the big model of like the GNS model, gaming narrative simulation. All right, like uh, I'm sorry, gamist narrativist simulationist. And so um, and that's oh wow, that's just like really want, 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 want. We don't want to talk about that here. <laughs> okay, if, we'll skip it. But what was there? Was there a complaint that there's too much in White Wolf games? There was an anti-White Wolf sentiment at the Forge because they thought the games themselves and how they're run were too hand-wavy. You guys are just making up stories and ignoring the rules? What exactly was their beef about this? Right. Well, yeah, because system matters is one of the yes. biggest things for white wolf i mean for um for the forge with system matters system matters if you have a statistic or an attribute or something it should matter to the game okay but um never does that actually i mean in the very tight thing about vampire the masquerade that is the real truth like you cannot avoid losing your humanity and becoming a crazy beast, a sabbat or whatever. Like you can't. Okay. Um, and if that you're is playing by the rules. And that is precisely why Wraith the Oblivion. So I didn't, I wasn't, I never got deep into the mechanics. Mm -hmm. My impression of these games, vampire people wanted to be vampires. So oh, it was yeah. wish Sexy. fulfillment. It was fun to be a vampire. And then a werewolf. It's fun to be this giant furry murder machine. Great. Then mage, literally, you can adjust reality. So forget the vampires and worlds. Now, what do you think? You can make that happen. And then Wraith comes along and I'm like, holy crap, the whole thing spends all this time talking about who cares about the real world. We're going to talk about the world of the dead. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to say, this is not about wish fulfillment. You're already dead. And so this is not, you are playing out stories of vengeance or redemption you're not playing out stories of i'm gonna become the most powerful wraith in all the world and i'm gonna i'm gonna rule like that didn't seem to be the point of it and there was something in my brain that shifted and said oh every game doesn't have to be wish fulfillment on my part as a 
as a as a player, the there can be a more exciting story to tell. So I don't know. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about is that, that what you were going for? That is what was the well, vision. So the original Wraith ideas okay. that came through were basically ghost with vampire stats. I mean, it's ghost. Okay. <laughs> and that completely fell on deaf ears with Jennifer Hartshorn, who was the original developer for Wraith. She was like, heck no, we're not going that way. Um, we're going to make this unique. We're going to make it special, different. Um, and the game that she originally, that she basically hammered together out of words and concepts that other people made, but also her own words and concepts was, um, you know, it could be, it's literally a personal tale of horror. It's going to grab you. It's terror rather than horror. It's, it's going to grab you. It's going to make you uh, into, you know, you're going to get creeped out. You know, the, the thing that Stephen King says in his book, Don's Macabre, if you can't terrorize them, then go for a scare. If you can't scare them, go for the gross out. <laughs> and that's what literally what it was. Um, you know, it's just disgusting. Some of the things that actually happen. people be human beings being made into coins or links in a chain, literally depersonalizing, dehumanizing them. Um, the whole idea of um, the cornerstone of Western civilization being Rome and that's what the cornerstone of the, the underworld was. Um, but there's, I mean, what she wanted to do and what I really subscribe to is that it's a game between two people. You play with a storyteller and a player, and then you utilize the rules to uncover your life, your past life, the life that you left and then you know survive in that environment and uh, that's it like that's the game so given what you just told me there uh you're right about the indie quality there are lots of indie games that have come out that are either um solo or that are one player uh with another person so there's oh, yeah. there's only two people shoot in the from, game shoot for but the moon yeah, yes. this is what, but this is a part. I understand the template. It's fascinating because the White Wolf template. Because if you just flip to the rules section, the one nice thing about the White Wolf games was everybody came to expect there's going to be a main book and there's going to be a bunch of splat books that come after. But the main book, every character sheet looks basically the same. We're going to reskin that'll have different powers and a different core. Um, core attribute that has something mm -hmm. to do with whether you're a vampire, a werewolf, a wraith, a Promethean, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but they're they're kind of all about the same. Nope. But what you're describing oh. is like an individual player with a with a storyteller working together. That doesn't sound like the normal thing. Is a party? We have a group. There's four people in a game master. Oh, did does did wraith? If it's supposed to be one player, well, you have a group of people there. So was that difficulty? Was that difficult? So I'm not saying that it was supposed to be one player. Obviously, okay. by the game eco economics of the time, right? Um, and this is the real truth 
of um, publishing at that time in the industry. Um, I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but White Wolf blossomed because they rode on the back of comic book distributors. Okay. I, I did not know this. Yeah. So comic books, you know, have a very specific model, right? They print up a whole bunch of comics and then they send them to the comic book store and the comic book owner store owner does his orders or her orders every week and they come in and then they look and see what sells or what doesn't sell. And the economics of that was that as long as you had something to sell every month, then you would stay with those distributors. Okay. They basically talked to the distributors, diamond comics, um, a couple of other different comic distributors into carrying their books. And so, you know, it started out with vampire, the masquerade, and then they came out with blood bond very shortly after that. Um, like they came out with vampire second edition and then they played, came out with blood bond and then they came out with Chicago by night. And so there was this treadmill yes. of must do product, you know, Chicago by night player, the, the player's guide, you know, and, and it just kept going relentlessly. And so um, by the time you're looking at Wraith, you're looking at, you know, uh, what three, three, four, five, four. Yeah. Four different product lines plus Wraith five different product lines. All of them have to have some kind of product every month. And if they don't have it, they fall off the radar of mom and pop game store owner. Right. Um, and so, uh, no, we were told you will make this a game about six people <laughs> hanging out together in afterlife. And how do we do that? Well, we make them, we make their fates intertwined. Yeah. And then, so everybody will be together, but I've never heard of a, like I've had a couple people approach me at conventions and say, I love Wraith. It saved my life. Um, you know, it was very dark, but I felt I really vibed with that. I really loved that. Um, and, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I really don't want to ride in an elevator with those people. But I'm just... <laughs> so the people who were really moved were really by Wraith. Okay. Great uh, fans of the Wraith. Like, you, can I show you my Wraith cutting that I did this morning? You know, I'm like, okay, no, please. Please, no. Yeah. But no, I mean, that's okay. I love, I love Wraith. I love all my children. Okay. Wraith is a special child of mine that sort of ghostly, like makes a mess wherever it goes kind of thing. People don't always welcome it in, but I love it. And I just, you know, and certainly everybody who's worked on it loves it. Um, uh, and once, Richard Dansky took it over. It blossomed because he understood. Well, I mean, Jennifer understood too, but he really understood the terror horror aspect. That's why 
you see books like, you know, the World War One book that came out and that sort of all these things. Um, you, you see all those uh, aspects coming together. So the historical one that came out because it was after my time, I've dipped back war. in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Like there was a, you know, there was an, there's a Dark Ages, a Wild West, all the other games, Vampire, Mage, mm-hmm. and Werewolf got some other thing. And for Wraith, it was World War One. Yeah, the Great War, yeah. Okay. The War to End War. Um, a lot of dead people all at lot, once, too. Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, that's... But Richard Dansky is like a an amazing horror writer, an amazing writer, period. And so he really shepherded Wraith, and I I feel sad that I haven't had a chance to really go through all the books that he did because, um, you know, I'm sure there's some genius there. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, Wraith was, you know, the the gimmick for Wraith was it had a glow in the dark cover. It did, right? You can feel it, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, it was it was cute. It was fun, but the 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 most successful method of role playing of playing wraith, I feel like, is a two one on one kind of situation. Okay. Um, and I think that in the book, there's a book about romance in wraith, uh, love after death, or something like that, mm-hmm. and it it talks about that kind of game. You know. So. Well, it's in, um, in in Mage, some of the best sessions I've ever had, and it was usually helping somebody else, but there's this thing you're supposed to play. You're supposed to play this point before the whole game starts, an awakening. You're going to awake. You're going to go from being regular to a mage, and it's supposed to be a very special scene. You're supposed to do it out, and it reminds me a bit of the one-on-one things for Mage, I think, also lent itself I always felt like Mage was like herding cats. Every group I've ever been in, everybody always wanted to go off in all these directions. Very seldom did the game feel like it was a group of people pulling all in the same direction. Maybe, and that was a lot of White Wolf too. They created these little groups of uh, the, these character classes that were full of their own rich reasons for doing things. And part of the White Wolf thing was you have positive or negative feelings about all the other groups. And so people are always playing that out. So it was constant group conflict was baked into every white wolf game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Um, well, the solution that I always used and that was the one that I think most of the developers were about was that you don't play world of darkness. You play, mage as your focus and then you fold in the vampires and the werewolves as aspects of mage so um but if you play werewolf as your focus then you should not be going behind the scenes of mage okay you should deal with maybe one or two mages ever you know, and because mages are not supposed to be, there's not supposed to be thousands of mages in the world. Um, so, you know, you might, you might maybe once talk to a dream speaker. If you're a werewolf, you might maybe once as a glass walker encounter a void engineer. Um, but that's not 
what is you're playing werewolf and so you've got to look at the werewolf lens you're looking at life through the lens of werewolf and that's that's how it works that's how it's supposed to work so i can I completely agree that that was the vision, but just like you said, if White Wolf layered on the way comic distribution, comic companies are always desperate to get someone to cross over because that means they will buy the other product line. If you like Vampire, and I can get you on Werewolf, so that means some of your players really want to play Vampire, and some of your players really want to play Werewolf, and then eventually we have Wraith. Somebody wants to play a Wraith, and so these crossover groups, Mm -hmm. and then eventually they fed into it with literal crossover stuff. But this idea, I completely agree with you. If you stay within the line, it works a lot better. If you cross over into other worlds, they don't quite match up, but it's sort of like who's stronger Hulk versus thing. People wind up having thousands of hours spent arguing about who's more powerful, the race or the Promethean or the mummy versus the whatever. Right. No, and that's totally understandable. And that's exactly what happens. Um, So, and that's why they did the new world of darkness. So that everybody could interact and interrelate, and it won't, wouldn't be a mechanical problem. Um, so that that's just how it works. The reason I say that Mage the Ascension was made that way was because if you look back in time and you see Ars Magica, Ars Magica, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, it was built the way it was designed is you have one, everybody has a mage character, a wizard character, and then you can have multiple companions, consortes who have a wide range of abilities and powers and abilities, like things that they normally would, you know, like there, you could have a ranger type. You could have right. a, a healer who is, you know, gifted by, the divine to, to heal all with the laying on hands. And you could have a, you know, a fairy blooded person. Like those are the, those are the sort of catch all um, characters. And then you had grogs and grogs are just crunch. All you want. We'll make more. They, they would fight. They would die. Um, they Your would D followers. You have right. X number of followers. Well, no, because you got to keep now. They were the crunchy. Let's get in and have combat people like if you really want to go do some combat you have to get your grogs and they'll go into combat for you and they'll okay you know and then they'll die um large large i mean if you i don't know if if you ever read the mechanics for that game people die all the time (laughs) um so and they're not getting rezzed they're not nothing is coming back because that would give me against the uh dominion to bring people back to life. Only God can do that. Only the, the divine, the Pax Day can do that. So, um, yeah. Mortality and death, a bigger part of that. Game. Right. Right. But you, each player no, but I, would have different characters. So that whole idea of we're playing this week, we're playing with Sam's mage and, uh, Tracy's, uh, bardic singer. And Tabitha is going to do all of the grogs this week. 
so that you could it was built from the get go as maybe the hope of maybe Wraith could have been done the same way. We're going to if we had a coterie of people who hang around a particular ghost or there's people we could tell a different story in a mm-hmm. different track every time. And mm-hmm. but, right. Ours Magico is built that way. Yeah. The big hero is the magic user, and mm-hmm. they have all these people who funnel out from them. Well, y- your magic user's focus this time, and everybody else is going to play all the people who are around. Exactly. Yeah. And and in it, you would never have two wizards in the same session. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's that is the. I'm not saying that that's exactly what they were going after, but it's still part of their thought process. Like Mark. Brian Hagen's thought process when he creates things, he's thinking in terms of things like that. Um, so can I ask, uh, so it's interesting. Um, I could see the good and the bad. Like you talked about this distribution model and it like means we have to churn out a bunch of stuff that's and what it that's means, yeah. bad and that you have to churn out a bunch of, we have to churn a bunch of stuff out fast, right? We got to get a lot of stuff out there, but that's employing a lot of artists and writers who get to do stuff. Can I ask you being inside that, that engine, what was it like being inside White Wolf and that engine as a creator? Was it really fun having all these things to work on? Or do you feel, does the commercial feel like it eats up the art? Well, it burned people out. Okay. I mean, there's just no, it can be said now because there is no, you know, I mean, even if you look at um, the stuff that they're doing now from, you know, Mage 20th and all of the different games that are coming out under that imprint. Um, they are still not doing, they're not doing the got to have a book a month. Got to have a book a month. No, no way. Um, as much as they're churning out, kind of the licenses passed on, the people who used to work on it have gotten a hold of it and they're making stuff. It's yeah. nowhere the volume, right? Right. And so what you had was um, here I am, I'm the developer for werewolf and bill bridges was a developer for werewolf for the longest time he did an incredible job but what he'd have to do is find writers who could deliver on time and in such a fashion that the writing there they did didn't have to be completely reworked um because if you're thinking about the just-in-time model what you've got is all of the writing comes in, gets developed, and developing is kind of a mysterious process. What it is is kind of going through and making sure everything hangs together, um, making sure everything makes sense, making sure there's no obvious holes in the, the work. Um, like, oh, you said here you talked about a power of sorcery, but there's no sorcerers in the book. What's the story? <laughs> like, yeah, we don't have sorcery in the main game. So how are you going to handle sorcery? Um, and so that would be something that either Bill would have to write himself or he'd have to hire a new writer to do it. And hiring a new writer would push the whole schedule back. So, um, but what would happen is we'd get people who turn in a piece of work and it's not the best. Right. And they, sure, that means that person is not going to probably be asked to write another book. But it's very possible that due to the way the machine worked, that person already had two other contracts. Oh, crud. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, you know, 
Abby someone finishes, you know, turns in rage across the Chattahoochee and it sucks. And then Abby turns in, you know, he turns in like, um, the technocracy's guide to stone mountain. And, you know, that kind of sucks too. Um, so now we have these bombs that are coming down the pipe and we have to either chuck them out the window, rewrite them completely, or we have to say, we're not doing that, that game. We're, we're trashing that particular supplement. We're going to replace it with this. But even when they did that, they still had all these words that were paid for. They had art. The big problem was the art because art is expensive. <laughs> art and, costs a lot of money. And again, the, the, you know, there's a few big uh, companies that probably were churning out the art was in white wolf. The art, I mean, it was good and it was also repetitive artists. So I could also see if you're asking for over the year, you, your art fits the bill that's a lot of art to chunk in in these book after book after yes. book after book. Yes. Um, and if the art comes in and it sucks, nothing you can do. There, there were times when I was handed a bunch of art and I said, really? And they said, yep. Make it. Do it. Do what you have to do. Um, but And because I was doing layout at the time. Like I was – I did layout originally for this for the company and then i started writing from them after player's guide and then they handed me pax day and then they handed me book of nod and um that's kind of when everything took off for me uh book of nod was i didn't read most of the stuff um i read fiction stuff that was inside the game books but i didn't book of nod was dope that was <laughs> that was great i yeah, love and that. the reason that's one of the only dope. ones i read the reason it was dope is because of Andrew Greenberg who developed okay. all that. And also Michelle Praler, who doesn't get hardly enough credit. I feel for the layout, the layout is beautiful at times. It's unreadable. Yeah. But if you look <laughs> at the unreadable ones, the reason it's unreadable is because it's clear that somebody doesn't want you to know this information. Right, so that's part of the story. Um, I agree. It was the, not the hand, the handwritten stuff, the scrawled stuff, the stuff again in weird, weird characters that are barely yes. readable. You're right. That was part of the appeal. Yeah, that was part of the appeal. That was part of like people go, well, why didn't you test? Um, you know, why didn't you do test prints and see that it was not working right? Well, they did. These are people who are professionals. They knew exactly what they were doing, um, and they made it that way on purpose. I think it's because Michelle didn't like that. <laughs> she didn't like, it was Malkavian and Malkavian was a rhyme. It was a bad piece of dog roll that I wrote and she hated it. <laughs> and I think that's why she's like, do you really want to put this in the book? I'm like, that's what I wrote. It's Malkavian. What do you want from me? Right. Um, so yeah. Uh, I, I have to go back at some point and try and figure out what it actually says, but it's really just nonsense. The whole thing is nonsense. 
And I liked it too because way back when I mean I'm into religions and philosophies, and mm-hmm. so there's this talk about the cosmology in the vampire world. The big question is where the hell do vampires come from? And right. so Book of Nod sort of plays a little bit of some of the possibilities about where we may have come from. Boom, here's where it comes. So that was cool. Yeah, and you know Mark Reinhagen was a, um, a preacher's kid. So oh no, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> So he knew all about all, uh, he knew a lot about theology and, you know, spirituality and religion. And he grew up steeped in that. And, um, so that's part of why there's Cain and Abel in this story. Cause if you remember correctly back then we're coming off around the time vampire comes out, we're coming off the satanic panic and people were just avoiding that, like the plague like anything religious. And so to have that big religious aspects and it's in the very first, like three pages of the book. Right. Um, was kind of a woo thing. You were there for this huge, so ta- making money. So a big engine that's making books before that, there have been a few. So there's some that excelled at uh, miniature games. And of course there's always TSR and then turning into all the variations of dungeons and dragons. Those were always there. Marvel superhero stuff, stuff in boxes would come out from companies. So there was money to be made in this hobby. It was always pretty small. But White Wolf was like a king or queen at the time. You're kind of wound into that. What? How did you get in? I think you talked a little bit about what it was like to work there. And then what happened? When did you depart White Wolf and why? Well, I burned out. Okay, you got and burned out. What did burnout for you look like? What burnout you work, for me like, was yeah. depression. Um stress my personal life because I was prioritizing work over everything else. Um, I had ADHD and I didn't know it. Um, so I would do like lots and lots of coffee. Um, I think one time Mark gave me an, not an Adderall. He gave me a Ritalin. Yeah. Just as a, here we have to stay up all night. And I wrote like 20,000 words with under that Ritalin because okay. it was fixing my brain for that period of time. Um, and that's just how it works. Right. Um, so I didn't know about that. I re- literally didn't know I was depressed. I didn't know I had ADHD. Um, I started to miss deadlines and then one morning they called me in the office and said, we have to fire you. You haven't done X or Y. And so they let me go. Um, at the time there was promises made. Oh, I'll, we'll take you to Gen Con. You know, you can, you can be there for what, for Wraith. That didn't happen. Um, but you know, thing of it is I see it through a different lens now. Okay. And I see it as a, um, it's a, like there, if the company was a company like, you know, a different kind of company, they would have said, look, you need a leave of absence and you need to get your head together. Um, we, we're not going to throw you to the curb, but you know, yeah, if we had somebody who was a drug addict, we would send them to rehab. Um, but they didn't have any way to say, you know, Sam, you're depressed. You need to go get, get better. Um, so that's what happened. And it was 
run the game. So you got to think of it. It used to be run by just Mark Reinhagen and Stuart Wick. I miss him. He's, he's departed. He's gone. Um, but um, used to be run just by those two people. And then Stuart asked his brother Steve in and Steve is like a, an executive. He was a trained businessman, uh, you know, uh, collegiate, collegiate trained businessman. He w- worked for like corporate America and he came in to run the business like a business. Sure. And no more handshake deals, no more bullshit. You know, everybody's getting, uh, not only are they getting a standard pay, but they're getting benefits, you know, like he really grew up the company, made the company grow up. But in order to do that, they had to make this machine happen. Yeah. And it just, if they had had anybody there to give them the concept of, okay, look, um, you either need more people or less people, but you need to make this more um, doable, more sustainable. So, and I got in because I responded to an ad on Usenet, which is the old uh, internet BBS system. So their thing, they they had a tight little group. And then outside that, they just had this huge field of freelancers they were constantly trying to find. So maybe they probably also get, sounds like they got trapped in that higher frenzy that never, so they're constantly trying to find new people all the time. Like that's exhausting. Right. And it's impossible. There was no, the internet was just, getting started. Yeah. Um, in fact, um, I had, I ran a multi-user, um, shared hallucination, a mush called the storyteller circle, mm-hmm. which at the time had a lot of people who were good writers showing up and interacting. Um, and that's where I would do my press conferences and talk about and tease about various things that are going to happen and stuff like that. Um, but I was the only one in the whole company who gave a damn about the internet at that moment. <laughs> they're like, whatever. <laughs> we're doing these fam. books. Yeah. We're making books. They're going in stores. That's right. what we do. Yeah. 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 Internet. Psh, give me a break, Sam. That's not, you know, but well, it's I, interesting. I love it. I'm not, su- yeah. I'm not surprised because I saw your, I saw the bears Grove website. That's still very old school. Again, brought me back. And yeah. I still like that stuff. When individuals just went on the internet, it was a little harder to make a website. And so if you made it, they're just much more personal individual. I think there, there's more artistic flavor to them. The templated stuff, which I use all the time, it's just mm-hmm. easier, but I just wanted yeah. to, I thought and that was prettier. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I refuse to get rid of that website because it, it is like my, it is, a, a, it's like a, a moment in time. Right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, and the thing of it is we had a lot of, like, we had people who were interning with us who were working for free, but they would all get jobs at the end of it. Um, we had people I met on storyteller circle who would then meet up, meet us up at a convention and then they would get jobs writing for us. In fact, Jennifer Hartshorn was recruited because she was on Manchester by night, which was a vampire mush. Mm-hmm. And I got to know her there. And I said, Hey, Jennifer, uh, would you be interested in trying out for the Wraith developer position? And she's like, what? And she, 
you know, uh, but, and it was a hard sell, but she eventually said, okay. Um, well, to hobbyists, to people who are doing this out, they just like to do it. So somebody who spends thousands of hours over a year creating dialogue and stories with other people that goes nowhere. That's just for them to play for somebody to flip the switch of, Oh, there's a profession here. Oh, I can make money. I can turn this into a job is, is crazy. Well, yeah, but also I have to warn those people don't do it because you'll, you're basically burning something that you love yeah, and turning it into something you have to do. Um, so this is per- it's perfect because I did want to ask that. So you're, you're, you love RPGs and then you get to work for one of the biggest RPG companies on stuff you like, <clears throat> and then you burn out and you jump out and then eventually you get to you, you, I don't know. What did it feel like over the next years that came? Was it like, what was it like gaming and making things for yourself? Uh, I don't know. What, what was the shift like? Right. So I started by, podcast okay <laughs> podcasting i you know the Be- the bears grow podcast was my first podcast um and what year and, did that what year did that start gosh i don't have the exact n- uh, number i'm trying to remember i can't tell you it was around the same time as um uh you know the the rise of libsyn libsyn.org okay and I was on Libsyn. So it was way, 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 way back in the, in the hinterlands. Um, and I, like you do with podcasts, I got more and more podcasty. And I podcasted a novel um, that I wrote as I, as I podcasted it. And that was awesome. Yep. And I got to, oh, the novel was crappy, but the <laughs> podcasting was fun. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a, a whole bunch of really cool stuff that I got to do. And so that I did that out of love and doing things out of love is how you get back from uh, burnout. And now the game stuff that I write are things that I legitimately, I sincerely want people to enjoy. Um, and I think they will. I write for myself. And I, I, you know, I write the game supplements I want. And so that's why I started with Encryptopedia with the, with the secret agent characters and then made more to support that. And then I did um, the book of the kiss, which is a fantasy romance book, um, which you know, is kind of controversial because people don't like to put that in their t- their tabletop games. I, um, I wanted to, and wait, since you brought it up, I wanted to stop there because it's interesting. You talked about this vision um, a developer had for Wraith where it was a pushback and saying, no, no, I want this to be a one-to-one thing. One-to-one things are magical in role-playing games, but if it's, it's like PvP violence, if it works well, if the players fighting amongst each other, if both players are in their right mind and they're in creating a story about these characters having a conflict, it can go very bad places and everything can be fine. This romance thing, when I saw the book of a kiss, I'm like, well, you're just begging for it when you, and then romance and sex getting involved in games, people get worked up in a way because they're, 
NPCs are one thing, but I think we're probably playing with the idea of player characters creating romantic stories, and that creates a conflict. I want to ask you why you why you made that. Why did you get interested? Right in the first, in the very front of the book, um, there are five levels of involvement of romance. Okay. Um, and the thing of it is, romance is not just about bumping uglies. It's like it's about how people interrelate and interact. And when you don't have romance in a game, you're cutting out a chunk of humanity for that, for that game. Right. Um, do I need to have a full blown session of naughtiness? No, right. That's not required, <laughs> but I do want to know, I, I'd like to know, you know, I, I played D&D with a group for three years, D&D 3.5, for three whole years. And at the end, we were all talking about, we were at the end of the, the sessions and at the end of the campaign, we were all talking about, like, well, what, what is your character's or sexual orientation? And the ranger could not tell me. It's like, I don't even, I don't even know. Like, we were... Because like one of the characters had gotten married, and another character was uh, fated to fall in love with, you know, the, a, a dragon, and there was all these things that were happening in the game that had romance and, and that sort of thing in it, just nat- natural part of life. Um, so yeah, I want to know at least if you if you have no sexuality at all, then you can choose the sexual alignment, the sign of the heart of stone. Um, and that means your character just doesn't, that doesn't go there. Heart of stone means there's no romance at all. Right. Um, and there are ways to change heart of stone to heart of something else. Um, and that's through role play. So if you want to do that, um, but yeah, it's, it really is. If, if heart of stone is sort of this choice by the player of the character to be like, I don't want romance, sex or sexual attraction. It's not an aspect of the thing I want. What's the other, what's the fifth level? Oh, well, so, I mean, if you sit down with a group of people and you design, you say, look, we want to have a romance game. Got it. Um, For example, there was a one shot that I did where, um, the six characters had to get their Baroness married (laughs) Um, and had to like, and she was very picky and she did not want just anybody. And if she didn't get married, she was going to lose her inheritance and her title. She was going to get like basically kicked out of the nobility. So, uh, you know, there was a lot of shenanigans that took place, but everybody at the table was like, yeah, we want to make this happen. We're going to do everything we can to make it happen. Um, and that's level five. It's just, it's the central point of the whole game is everybody's romantically involved with somebody. Right. Um, so like the, the Chevalier actually was in love with a priestess of the goddess of justice. And so he could, use that as a means to get into the, the, the goddess of justice temple and interview somebody who'd been wrongfully accused, who actually would be a great husband for this person. You know, it was, it's that kind of connection. Um, 
but uh, even in those games, we're not talking about like, you know, Balchica Wow Wow. We're just talking about like romance, love, sweetness. Um, you know, I went compu- completely pure out because there are some terrible yeah. games out there that have sex charts and stuff. And you're right, which no. you're fine if you're into that. If you want to roll no. dice on a sex chart to see how things no. go, I mean, that's fine. No, no. <laughs> okay. Um, Although I do like, there's a there's a podcast out there called uh, uh, Roll for Romance, and okay. they are really cool, and they um, they actually have a die twenty hotness roll, hotness check. <laughs> when they don't know, uh, you know, is that NPC hot? I don't know. Let's roll a hotness know. check. Yeah, um, but it's just fun. I like that. They're great. They're great players. Um, so yeah, I don't know, like. Ultimately, also there's things like rites of passage, you know, you know, getting married, getting, having, uh, you know, your first time having, you know, and, and all the questions of legacy for a nobility, like, you know, it's all about sex because you're, it's your blood. Um, and they trace their, if you have patrilineal or matrilineal lines, they trace it through the blood. So it's just, it's just a lot of ideas and some systems for people who want to try and add those to the game. There's a whole system for how you create a relationship from the start. Wow. Um, so, like, I offer you a warm regard. That means I think you're cool. And you might offer me a kind regard, which means you're not really into me sexually, but you like me as a person. And, but that means there's a conflict between us. And so we can both add to that relationship connection over time to create a bond. And uh, once that bond is created, you actually have some, like in, if depending on your fantasy game, you have some connections to each other because you have that bond. So, um, you know, you, you can, you can find each other. You know, that that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I well, do bring it well, back I, to that. Now I feel like this is a highly underused. One of my exhausting things, I'm 48 years old now. I've on and off played role-playing games. I get bored because typically, as you know, most role-playing games revolve around combat and combat proficiency or mm-hmm. superpowers and superpower proficiency. It's just about, like, wish fulfillment, about being more effective in the world, and it's fun to play a character who is amazing. This mm-hmm. stuff sounds... This, uh, the fact that there's stuff built, you're encouraging people, hey, add these modules on to bring some other richness to the human experience that happens at the gaming table. Yes, exactly. And um, uh, I hate the way that most um, most role-playing games do mental illness um, because they, they treat it like a terrible disadvantage. And really, these people, you know, not everybody who has a mental illness or who's non-neurotypical is a bad person. Um, there are some hearts, I think a uh, heart of silver mm-hmm. is a changeable heart. It, it has waxing and waning like a moon um, where sometimes you're incredibly down and depressed and sometimes you're in the middle and nobody can tell that you've ever been that way. And then sometimes you're really crazy manic and it goes back around. It changes all the time. 
Um, and as long as you are role playing that, you're going to get uh, the the power, the the energy reward in points of uh, vive, which is like your energy your energy for romance. Um, so uh, as long as you're role playing that, you're good. Um, but you know, and there, all of us have known people like this. Um, yeah, and it and it sounds fast. Again, I appreciate. Yeah. So, for instance, there are games that were like Sanity is a big part of Call of Duty. Oh Clue. yeah. But in the system, it's built to be you're not supposed to look at this stuff. And if you grow insane or you lose your connection to what is real, this is very bad, and it will only get worse. It's part of the system. But you're right. In most games. You know, uh, you got a finger chopped off, uh, you broke your knee, uh, you're blind in one eye, oh, you have depression now, or you're seeing things, or, right, it's just simply another, like, point flaw. Like, if mm -hmm. you take this thing where you have to steal things, if you have kleptomania, well, it's just a point flaw, and you're going to have to deal with your kleptomania, and you're going to try to get rid of it oftentimes, you're going to buy off those things. Oh, you're not a kleptomaniac anymore. You're not right. depressed anymore, whatever the thing happens to be, right? It's pretty rudimentary and not very sophisticated. Yeah, it is, and it's also let's just say ableist in my opinion. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I love to, I love to make those part of, I had a, I had a player once who played a person with multiple personalities and each of their personalities was a different soul inside of their body. Um, and it was very poignant when different souls of theirs would interact with other players. Um, and sometimes they would be like, the players would be like, we haven't seen, you know, the kid character in a while. Is she okay? <laughs> um, and it was just so sweet. Like this takes people from being, you know, ostracized or marginalized because of their mental illness and turns it into a just normal everyday thing for this world. Yeah. And people just say, Oh yeah, she's many sold. We know that no big deal. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want, I could talk to you for forever about this stuff, but I want to be respectful of your time. So I kind of have a closing question. I am curious. Mm -hmm. We've, from the time you were a kid and you first started playing make believe, and then you kind of got involved in make believe games with other people and then got involved with role playing games. And now you're an adult, like most of us with some sort of regular job and some sort of regular responsibilities. And you're not, what does gaming do now? for you that it didn't do when you were a kid? Like how has your relationship with playing tabletop games and role-playing games changed significantly hmm. or maybe not at all? Well, I mean, I became knowledgeable of more uh, subtle and more deep and three-dimensional storylines. Um, you know, my early games were power fantasies. Yeah. <laughs> um, being, you know, having a magical sword that does this, that, and the other. Um, and I, in fact, my first gaming article was about magic swords with personality and nice. talking about, you know, swords were, swords are hard to make and magic swords are even harder. So there's never going to be a magic sword that wasn't made on purpose for some reason. Um, but anyway, suffice it to say, yeah, that's, that's it. I mean, I can, I can go deeper. I can explore more, um, poignant things. I had a situation where, um, someone 
uh, literally waded through time to get back to, he fell into a pool that took him back in time and he was immortal. He literally waited and stayed alive to get back to his lady love and having that moment of them getting back together and having him say, yeah, uh, it was thousands of years, but you're worth it. Yeah. It was like, I'm going to cry, you know, (laughs) can I ask in those moments where now you have, you have all these new flavors and emotions. And as you point these poignant scenes and events that can happen now in stories, then Mm -hmm. maybe when you were a kid, yeah, just like me, power fantasies, charisma fantasies, whatever. Um, Is it about, is it, is it building the relationship with the other people playing the games or is it making the fictional stories that the other people are there for? Or is it this weird mix of all of it together? For me, it's about it's. So if you think about humanity, humanity has mirror neurons in their brain. And that means that you can immerse yourself into just about anything. Um, And the reason that we survive as a species is because we can project ourselves into these hypothetical situations so when we're role-playing, what we're doing is that. Um, and we're utilizing that part of our brain. So what does that do? It creates empathy. It creates the ability to troubleshoot or to critically think. Um, so, yeah, all those things together, um, the immersion is really the important part for me. Um, but wanting to immerse, like, has to happen because someone's engaged Um, and trying to find out what makes people engaged is the hardest part. Um, Like I've got a game called side kids, which is coming out and it's uh, about uh, abandoned psychic children on the run from an illegal criminal government agency. And they're trying to kidnap them and take them back. And uh, so you get to role play as an adult, a child with psychic powers um, and have that sort of funny living in two worlds at once experience, the Basil E. Frank Weiler experience um, of being a, a parentified a child. Yeah. Um, and in fact, there's a skill called adulting, which... <laughs> If you want to work an ATM machine or anything, like if you want to, you know, anything that wouldn't be normal for a kid to do, you have to roll adulting. And if you fail that roll, you just, you mess it up. And then you, you, you get people coming over to you and asking, Hey, what are you doing kid? Um, I don't want to say for sure this came out of, uh, what was your primary influence for sure? This, this game is going to appeal to people who are excited about, the characters in stranger things, but obviously this, you know, theme I've of- never watched stranger things. So what, how yeah. you, you literally just described to me, psychic kid flees facility and okay. being chased. Like, Oh, it must be stranger things. Right. And you're yeah. like, no, I didn't no. what, um, <laughs> what this, what this game is, it's a love yeah. letter to latchkey children of generation uh, X, my own generation. Um, people who were kids, they had to come home. They had to let themselves in the house. They had to make themselves a snack and do their own homework um, because their parents were both working. And um, and they would spend summers just sitting there bored, doing nothing. Um, you know, until I and that's what I did until I found out found out about role playing. 
Um, and then I role played all summer. Yeah. But um, yeah. So it's a love letter to those people and also speaks very um, pointedly at the idea of adult of, of parentifying a child and how evil that is and how awful that is. Um, not letting a kid be a kid, um, forcing them to grow up before their time and what kind of damage that does. It does a lot of damage. This is spoiler alert. So that is fascinating too, because I was about to say, Oh, then you like uh, helicopter parenting, but the whole, it's almost, Mm-mm. you have latchkey kids, which is figure it out, do it on your own helicopter parenting. You need to be responsible and grow up and you need to be on these certain paths. Cause as I think people who helicopter parent true, sometimes they let their kids be kids, but usually there is hyper structuring of their life. Right. So basically they create like this hyper structured, it's all fun, but none of it is unstructured play ex- you right. know, exploration. They're not making mud pies. They're, you know, going to pottery class. That's you know? right. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true. Oh crap! I'm gonna look for. Okay, when it do you already have? When is this gonna? It, it is uh, in final development okay. and um, layout right now, and so um, I'm not. Are you gonna Kickstarter it? What are you gonna do with it? No, I'm just gonna release it on Drive Through RPG and see how that goes. And then if there's a, a significant amount of interest, I will do a big Kickstart and all that. But it's really uh, it's meant to be a series of one shots. It's not meant to be a campaign. It's meant to be a series of one shots that you run with a group of people, your 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 peer group or whatever. Usually people who have experienced this, you know, being not really being parented thing. A lot of people will, will get into that. But I th- what the playtest in the playtest, we had they just enjoyed the heck out of goofing adults, you know, uh making people like freeze in the middle of the mall and sit there and pick their nose. I mean, they, they really got into it. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, Being a kid is fun, you know, and that's what changeling was supposed to changeling. The dreaming was supposed to be like, supposed to give you that option to play as a kid who was, you know, more than a kid. Right. Uh, it's interesting that I think a lot of kids wind up role-playing adults. I like this. I think there's a thing that there's a theme the past maybe five, ten years. I've seen a number of games that have come out that kind of like encourage adults to go play as kids again. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's helpful. It does. I think this is where you're coming from, but it does the same thing that all these books where they talk about finding your inner child and f- figuring out who you are as a, inside your inside voice. Where did that stuff come from? Well, all of this stuff came to you in your first few years of life. And your childhood. And so you have to go back to your inner child. And so I think these explorations of going back and as an adult, putting your head back in the kid is interesting and helpful. So I think that's right. Cool. And I, I specifically say in this book, this is not for kids because okay. it's, it's a dark, <laughs> dark game. Yeah. Um, it's about kids getting kidnapped illegally and what happens as a result. And and also kids being completely on their own, no adults um, and how terrible that is for the kids um, because they don't have any stability. You know, they have one person who's kind of like a windy character, but she um, can't control everybody. Right. You know, and they have kind of a frontier justice kind of feel to them. So yeah, it's, it's a dark game. It's the, one of the darker games. I mean, I, Wraith is dark. 
but this is like getting towards that direction in terms of darkness. It's it it gives me the shivers sometimes just thinking about these scenarios.